0: My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jared. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm pretty great. Doing doing pretty well this morning. So, which one do you think is scarier? A wolf that you can see... Or a wolf that you can't? I recently began to notice that there is, there's just a general fascination with wolves um, just in human history. Uh, there, there has been for a long time. If you look at uh, some of the different fairy tales and uh, folklore, just come across uh, human history for thousands and thousands of years, there seems to be this general understanding and One that I think has stood the test of time, that wolves are out to get you. Um, Wolves are the enemy. Wolves represent a common antagonist for people. And as early as the year 600 BCE, over uh, two and a half thousand years ago, and probably even earlier, poets and writers have been sharing these cautionary tales about the cunning wolf who is out to get the main character. And I'm sure you're familiar with many of them, like one of uh, uh, Aesop's Abel's The Boy Who Cried Wolf, where the boy repeatedly sounds the false alarm of the coming of the coming wolf, but the wolf isn't there, only for when the wolf finally comes, when the boy cries out, the townspeople don't believe him. Or maybe you're familiar with the much more recent Brothers Grimm uh, story story of Little Red Riding Hood, where, where the wolf is hiding and pretends to be the girl's grandmother to try to eat, eat the girl. I think one of the more popular wolf tales is is the story of, of of the Three Little Pigs. It was first published in 1840, but the actual story is much older, and it has been adapted many, many times, but I'm sure you're familiar with the story. There are three pigs who are, are building houses, and each one selects a different building material, one straw and one sticks and one, uh, uh, and one bricks. And, and the wolf goes house to house, and what does he say? Stay with me. Little pig, little pig, let me in. And, and the pig responds, not by the hair, on my chinny chin chin. Great job. Only for the wolf to huff and puff and try to blow the house down. And you likely know that all that huffing and puffing is effective on the straw house, and it's effective on the stick house, but it doesn't seem to work on the house that's made of bricks. And across the different adaptations of of the story, the three little pigs, the pigs aren't successful because they outnumber the wolf, three pigs to one. The pigs aren't successful because they're able to outrun the wolf or even overpower the wolf. The pigs are finally successful because they outsmart the wolf. Which is scarier for us? The wolf that we can see or the wolf that we can't?
1: I know for me it's
0: easy, easy to be scared of the unknown, the things in life that we can't predict, or maybe we're trying to predict them, and that's the problem. Based on our past experience, based on how we know the world to be, we imagine a future that's rather scary. In our future, we might see wolves of all shapes and sizes. And I think it's important that we as Christians have a firm understanding of how to defend ourselves against wolves, but more important than that, to know that no matter how much huffing and puffing No matter if the wolf is lurking down the way pretending to be grandma or if it's a whole pack of wolves, there's nothing truly to be afraid of. Because the wolf antagonist is not just a recurring theme in secular literature and folklore, it's also a repeated warning of Jesus. It's in the Gospels and it's also found in the New Testament. And sometimes these spiritual adversaries, these wolves, are described as lurking and hard to find. And other times, these wolves are described as howling and prowling at the door. And in conversations that I've had with many of you, there seems to be a general wariness about what the future holds. We're afraid of what laws might be put in place. We're afraid of how long our freedom to practice religion is going to Uh, maintain we're afraid of people teaching things that are contrary to the truth at a point that seems to be such a pivotal tipping point moment in our country. But what Jesus tells his followers is he says, yes, there are wolves out there, but he also says you are more than equipped to do something about it. And over the next month, we're going to work through some of Jesus's teaching about wolves. What kind of wolves should we anticipate? What protections does Jesus give his followers against these wolves, these adversaries? And if it ever seems like we are left hopeless as sheep among the wolves, what on earth does God want us to do? Does God expect us to run from the danger? Does God expect us as sheep to turn and to fight, to start a sheep rebellion I hope that we walk away from the words of Jesus each week with a clear understanding that God has it taken care of. And that even if it becomes hard to see, even if we find ourselves among the wolves, our shepherd is still in control. One of the most explicit times that Jesus warns his disciples against these types of adversaries is found in Matthew chapter 10. That's where uh, it will be for most of the, of the morning and also in some of the week's uh, uh, in, uh, in the rest of the month, but I, uh, I want to start in verse 16, M- M- Matthew 10, verse 16. Uh, these are the words of Jesus, "'Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as the doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles.'" This warning of Jesus comes in the middle of an instruction that Jesus is giving his, his 12 apostles as they're preparing to go out and share the good news about, uh, uh, about Jesus. The disciples are told by Jesus to go out to the Jews, who Jesus refers to as the lost sheep of the house of Israel in Matthew 10, verse 6. This language of God's people being sheep is going to be incredibly important for our whole series, but it's also really important for how we understand what Jesus was doing here on this earth. And it's a concept we're probably pretty familiar with, God's people being referred to as sheep. In fact, we sing a number of hymns about us being sheep and God being the shepherd. Audience participation time. Any sheep hymns that come to mind? Shout them out. Any sheep hymns? I'm a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. Um, not just in our songbooks, but also in, in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, the imagery of sheep and shepherd is, is rather common. In fact, we read one of those Psalms earlier, Psalm 23, and we'll come back to that later in our message this morning. But here in Matthew chapter 10, there's something really pretty interesting about what Jesus' instruction to his, uh, uh, his, uh, his apostles are, who are about to be sent out as sheep among the wolves. Jesus tells them to be wise as serpents and innocent as a dove. Probably not the type of clear cut instruction that they were looking for. One, to be characterized as sheep, but they also need to be like a serpent and they also need to be like a dove. It doesn't make for a great uh, an, uh, diagram, but I, I tried. Hopefully you get the picture. But I I want to spend a minute here on the animal imagery because I think it says a lot about what Jesus expects, how Jesus expects his people to behave. Let's think about that first one, to be wise as serpents. Probably doesn't sound like something that Jesus said at all, to be honest, that Jesus would tell his people to be like the serpent. If you're familiar with the full biblical story you probably hear that word serpent and you immediately go to probably Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent tempts Eve in the garden and i don't think that assumption would be too far off because my bible made the same jump my bible had a note next to this verse that said Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 why on earth would Jesus be encouraging his people to act like the serpent, the serpent who happens to be mankind's sworn enemy since, since the fall. Now don't hear what I'm about to say and think that in the story of the garden, I'm pro-serpent. I'm, I'm pretty against the serpent, and I hope you are too. But there is a measure of intellect that the serpent displays in the garden. Crafty and shrewd wisdom but wisdom, nonetheless. You see, the serpent had an understanding about God that man and women did not. The serpent knew that God was someone to be feared. The serpent knew that God was someone who was great. The serpent knew that God was seated in a position that was to be looked up to. Well, what the serpent does with that wisdom, with that intellect, is a different conversation. But the serpent tempts Eve by telling her that she too could become like God. The serpent knows who God is. The serpent knows how great God is. And when Eve looks at the fruit, she makes a determination that the fruit is good to make her wise, just like the serpent told her, to give her wisdom. And while the serpent shows a few signs of intellect, maybe it's an attempt to to take a stab at at the Creator, maybe it's attempt to, to take a stab at the creation. The serpent has an inability to trust God, and the serpent's heart was impure. And whatever intellect and wisdom was found in the serpent eventually leads it to its own ruin. And this leads us to the second instruction by Jesus that we need to be innocent as a dove. It's probably a little easier to imagine. In the early church, the icon of the dove was pretty common to identify virtue and purity. Even in the New Testament, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the animal of the dove plays a significant role in representing even the presence of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit. At the baptism of Jesus, for example, the Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove, where God proclaims that Jesus is indeed His son. So to be as innocent as a dove speaks to the disciples' need for purity in their character, in addition to their ability to have wisdom. We talked about this last month about our need to be pure in character, how we ought to behave in light of suffering. The Apostle Peter says, If you're gonna suffer, let it be because you were doing good, let it be because you were pure, let it be because you're practicing obedience. If that's what the sheep are to be like—sheep are to be like the serpents and, and, and the doves—what does Jesus say the wolves are going to be like? This is what he says they are going out to. I asked you earlier which wolf is scary or the wolf you can't see or the, or the wolf you can. The wolves that Jesus is describing here in Matthew chapter 10 are certainly wolves that you can see. They're very visible These are the types of wolves that are going door to door loudly and proudly saying, Little pig, little pig, let me in. Jesus says these wolves are opponents of the sheep. These wolves are going to react, and these wolves are going to respond loudly. He he says they're going to make loud noise. They're going to make demonstrations. They're going to take a stand against those that oppose them. And when you do something to upset one wolf, these wolves are going to gather together as a whole pack. They're going to flog you in the synagogues. They're going to drag you In the courts. These are the visible wolves. Well, what we're going to see in just a moment, and what we already know about Jesus, is that Jesus is not afraid of these wolves that the disciples are about to encounter as they go out. These wolves can huff and puff all they want, but Jesus is still going to ask his people to go out. Jesus is still going to ask his people to go out and talk about his kingdom. Because when Jesus looks at the future, And when Jesus knows what's coming and when Jesus knows what awaits even him at the end of his earthly life, at the hands of these really visible wolves, he is not afraid. Because sure, these wolves are loud and proud, they're big and they're bad, but these wolves are not all powerful. These disciples are about to be sent out as sheep among the wolves, and we too pretty often can find ourselves in circumstances and situations where it seems like the sheep are few and it seems like the wolves seems like the wolves are plenty but don't worry sheep this is what Jesus says to you he does not send us out empty handed this is what he says in verse 19 when they deliver you over do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for, for what you are to say it will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The disciples are not being sent out empty-handed. Jesus tells them that the spirit of God is going to be speaking through them when they find themselves in these challenging situations at the hands of the wolves. At the beginning of the early church in Acts chapter 1, we see the spirit of God very very drastically coming into power in God's people. The spirit is described as doing a number of things in the the New Testament. But isn't it interesting, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is describing the armor of God, the Spirit is described as the sword, the sword of the Spirit. And when we think of that word sword, we almost certainly imagine warfare, the mention of swords throughout the Bible is meant to depict human warfare. In fact, when the prophets in the Old Testament are describing the future kingdom of God, where there will be no warfare and there will be peace, he says that you won't have a need for swords. Your swords will be beaten into uh, pruning hooks and plowshares. You won't need these weapons of war. You need tools to garden. Jesus is sending his people out with swords. He's sending them out with the Spirit that's going to give them these words at the time where they need it. And some Christians might understand this as their encouragement to fight back, to retaliate, to give the wolves what they have coming to them. A politician who identifies as a Christian was recently talking about his plans to drastically retaliate to some of the evil things that are going on in this country, and someone asked him, what about Jesus' instruction to turn the other cheek? And his response was, well, you only have two cheeks. That doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, though. Jesus is equipping us with a sword. But he's not equipping us to fight the fight that we often think he is. Jesus is equipping us for a much different fight. Christians need to be wise as the serpent, crafty, and and oh, when in when and where to act, but we also have to be as innocent as the dove, pure. I think one of the most helpful sheep-shepherd images in the Bible comes in Psalm 23, which we read earlier. The opening lines are beautiful. You can probably quote the whole psalm. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What a great place for the sheep to be. Oh, how we might long to one day be at a place like this, in our relationship with God, led beside the still waters with our shepherd. But wait, where does the psalm say that the psalmist actually is? In verse four, even though I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the valley of the shadow of death does not sound a whole lot like green pastures and still waters. This psalm and also our text in Matthew chapter 10 is not promising a life that will be as easy as strolling along the grass in your bare feet to be able to stoop down and sip the cool water from the babbling brook. But because of the greatness and the power of our shepherd, because of the rod and the staff of our God, we can find comfort and protection even among the wolves, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil. Even when we're sitting at a table in the presence of our enemies, our cup will still overflow. Sure, we might be sent out like the apostles in Matthew 10 as sheep among the wolves, but we are certainly not left empty-handed, and we are certainly not sent alone, which I think is the more important thing. Because we have a shepherd who is more than able to conquer the wolves, we have a shepherd who's already conquered the wolves. God is the one who will overpower the wolves, and in the meantime, he's asking us to show wisdom, he's asking us to show purity. Earlier in the story of the three pigs, the pigs didn't find victory over the wolf because they overpowered the wolf or because they outran the wolf but they showed wisdom and, and they stood together. That's what God's asking us to do. Even among the wolves we can still find peace. My, my conclusion for us this morning is simple. We need to accept the idea that Jesus has sent us out into this world, that there's going to be wolves. Sometimes those wolves are going to huff and puff, and they're going to try to blow the house down. But if God is our shepherd, then we shall not be left in want. We need to find comfort as a church, not in our ability to protect ourselves from the wolves, not in our ability to fend off the wolves, but in the shelter of God's rod and God's staff. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about some of these wolf images in the Bible. We're going to talk about wolves that might seek to undermine the truth of God. We're going to talk about wolves that might even pretend to be sheep. But as a church, if we can remain in the word of God as a community to uphold the truth, then certainly goodness and mercy will flow from our midst all the days of our lives. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Until then, we go out as sheep among the wolves. And until then, we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This morning, if you are not a Christian, if you have never confessed that Jesus is Lord and taken on the power of his blood in baptism, then you're just like the lost sheep of Israel. The shepherd sent his son to the depths of the earth so that you could come home, so that you could be a part of God's glory and honor protected from the evils of this world, protected from even the evils that you have instigated. If you are a Christian, you're a sheep who knows n- 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 the shepherd, but you've strayed from the flock. You don't really feel like you're a part of the flock anymore. The weight of the world has been bearing down on you. The future that you see coming for your life is clouding your vision. You need to know that there's peace and comfort always with God. If you need the prayers of your fellow sheep, of your brothers and sisters in Christ, please stop neglecting to ask for it. There is no shame in admitting that you're a wounded sheep in need of the arms of the shepherd, but there certainly will be shame for those who are too proud to admit that we need God. If you have any need, whether it's here in person or it's on Facebook, you can make that known here in just a minute as we sing our song. You can make it known in the comments or by sending an email or calling someone at any, any time in the week. No matter how far from the flock the sheep strays, the shepherd, shepherd's calming hand is there to guide us home. I encourage you this morning to cast off any idea that you have the ability to fend off the wolves any attempt to do so would be futile. It's not because the wolves are all powerful and the wolves are going to overcome you. It's because God's already taken care of the wolves and we need to trust in him. If you have any need at all this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and we sing this song?